There was a moment in Susan Yates' life when, as she looked at her empty nest, she started to think, what's my purpose anymore? I remember the day after Libby's wedding, she was the last to marry, going up to the girls' room that they'd grown up in, that they'd shared their whole life. And as I stood in the room, I looked around at the walls, and there were lines where the pictures had hung. You know, there were pieces of little scraps of paper. And as I looked at these bare walls, I noticed the closet door was ajar. And on the floor of the closet, I saw a rumpled old blue prom dress. It seemed out of place. It was all alone. It was not needed anymore. It, in a way, was out of style. And as I looked at that prom dress, I thought, that's just how I feel. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll look today at the realities that begin to set in as the nest starts to empty out. Stay tuned. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. I'm just sitting here doing the math. What's it been? It's been more than a decade now since you guys became empty nesters. That's right. <laughs> you are are you it. still trying to figure it out? Or <laughs> you're kind of silent there. I, told I guess you, it's a little slow on the math. I, I, no, it's not <laughs> no. slow. No, I'm just trying to realize when it was when you and I finally determined we were empty nesters. <laughs> so there was this process, you're saying. I think there was. I think it took us two or three years to come out of how many years of child bearing and child yeah. rearing? I don't know, a lot. 28, I think. I think so. I think over 28 years. I think so. And um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen automatically. No, I mean it's it was all it was transition. All, all hands on deck raising children, and Bob, uh, it took us a while to get out of the mindset mm-hmm. and to finally realize, you know what we we can kind of enjoy each other now and and focus on one another. And it hadn't been that we we weren't doing that before, but when you're tending to children. Uh, there's no question. They they drain. They our, drain you. Our listeners are obviously aware that your wife, Barbara Rainey, is joining us today. Good to have you here. Thank you, Bob. And we're going to be hearing a message that you and your friend Susan Yates did mm-hmm. talking about empty nest issues. But I need to start by saying we got a very nice note from one of our Family Life Today donors who wrote to say, I've been reading Barbara's empty nest book. I was encouraged to hear about your daughter who rebelled to find out that we're not alone. Barbara is so right. We just need to choose our words carefully and to pray, pray, pray. God is faithful, and he cares about our children more than we do. Thank you. And I imagine you've heard from a lot of folks who have read the book who have written you personally to say thanks for capturing in this book mm-hmm. what we've been living through and couldn't put words to. Yeah, when especially when we speak, because we get immediate feedback when Susan and I speak to groups of women. They come up and say, wow, this is exactly what I've been thinking and feeling, and I'm so glad to hear somebody else is talking about it because it's it's a phase of life that we don't celebrate the same way we celebrate mm-hmm. weddings and new babies and going off to school and all of that. We kind of, moms just kind of fade off the radar screen mm-hmm. at the end. There's There's no big bang. There's no hoopla to celebrate the end of parenting, and I think it leaves a lot of women feeling lost, um, not sure what to do with themselves. And so um, we've had great feedback from women who've read the book because they 
they understand by reading it that we get it because we've been there and we felt those things and we're trying to help them know that they're not alone. And when Barbara and Susan uh, wrote the book, they uh, they didn't offer a pie in the sky type of picture of the empty nest. They they painted it uh, flaws, blemishes, warts, and all because it's a process that isn't necessarily neat and tidy as you raise children who become adults. They have their own lives, their own choices, and they talk about that in the book of uh, maybe the ideal, the ideal family you wished you had. Well, maybe it doesn't uh, quite turn out the way you expected, and you need some hope. And what this lady is referring to there, Bob, is she just appreciates somebody being authentic and mm-hmm. real. And I just want to say to this uh this this donor, this partner in ministry, thank you for being a part of uh, of this ministry. You know, I, I was thinking when you read that, Bob, uh, David, when he went to war, had his mighty men. Right. Well, we have a group that support this broadcast and the ministries of family life. They're not just mighty men. They're mighty men and mighty women. Mm-hmm. And they're mighty because they care about, I believe, uh, the oldest institution in the world, the most powerful institution in the world, and they're investing in a ministry that's doing good, Hmm. that's bringing good to marriages and families and bringing hope to people in a culture that, frankly, is trying to undermine and do evil to families. And uh, I just want to say thanks to those of you who are donors to Family Life. You're needed, you're appreciated, and God bless you and and your legacy. I agree. Thanks. Uh, Barbara, you and your co-author, Susan Yates, uh, had an opportunity to speak to a number of women. I think it was in Dallas, right? That's right. You spoke on the subject of the empty nest, and this was a number of months ago, but we're going to give our listeners an opportunity to hear what you and Susan shared with those women. And let's, we'll just dive right in. Here are Barbara Rainey and Susan Yates talking about the issues women face as they face the empty nest. Just before we get going, we thought we'd tell you a little bit about ourselves. I grew up in the deep south. And I grew up near Chicago. I was a tomboy. And I was afraid to catch a ball. I had lots of pets growing up and still do. And I never had a pet, and I'm not real fond of dogs either. (laughs) But I do like art and design and beautiful things. And I love watching Barbara paint. She's an incredible artist. My dining room is painted black. My dining room is blue and yellow. (laughs) I love fashion and being in style. I hate shopping. (laughs) I tend to overcommit. And I'm not afraid to say no. But I am a task person. And I'm a people person. I still struggle with the fear of failure that I thought I would have outgrown by now. (laughs) And I still struggle with an overactive imagination that quickly runs to worry. I'm an extrovert. And I'm more of an introvert. I married my best friend, and I can't remember how we met. And I can't remember how my husband Dennis and I met either. We're both we are bald. definitely middle-agers. <laughs> it's pretty sad. <laughs> Dennis and I had six kids in ten years. And Johnny and I had five kids in seven years, including a set of twins. I thought toddlers and dirty diapers would never end. I did too. <laughs> I hated sibling rivalry. I did too. <laughs> we both love plants and we both love gardening. We both love chocolate. 
We both love hot tea, great books, and a roaring fire. And neither of us likes to cook. <laughs> both of our husbands are always bemoaning that they're going to starve to death. <laughs> well, we wanted to hear just a little bit from you, if we could, before we get into this too far. So we'd like for you to raise your hands and let us know kind of where you are in this season. So, how many of you are in the first year of your empty nest? You just sent your last one off. Okay, we have a few. How many of you are not there yet? You still have some in high school, but you're approaching it. Oh, wow, outstanding. That's oh, that's fabulous. That's really what we love to see because yeah. the best way to do the empty nest is to start thinking about it ahead of time. And so many times, like I did and like Susan did, we're there and we don't know what to do with it. So yay for coming. Um, how many of you have been in the empty nest a few years? You're already there like us. Ah, another good yeah. chunk. Yeah. How many of you um, are single moms or are facing the empty nest alone? Wow, yeah, that right. happens, doesn't it? Yeah. And how many of you are caring for aging parents? Mm -hmm. A lot. Or how many are caring for a grandchild? Yeah. A few. Mm -hmm. Well, the empty nest has got a lot of variables, and we're going to talk about those this morning. None of us enter the empty nest with the same set of circumstances. Susan and I have discovered on this journey that all of us are asking the same questions, and they boil down to four questions. And the first one is, am I the only one who feels this way? I remember thinking that and feeling that after my youngest left, and it's a very common emotion for us in the empty nest. Most empty nesters feel that they're the only one. One of the big ones for us, for both of us, was loneliness, because the house is empty and it's quiet, and we're not used to that. So what about you? Tell us some of the emotions that you have felt, those of you that are already in the empty nest or just got there. What are some of the things that you've felt as you've entered into the empty nest? Or even some things that you're feeling as you're approaching Yeah, it. or something that you might be anticipating in the empty nest. We just want to hear a few from you, so just shout them out. Sad. Sad. Lonely. <laughs> Relieved. <laughs> Relieved. <laughs> there is some of that, yeah. Yeah. Some others? Excited. Excited. Yep. Separation anxiety. Separation anxiety. Detached. Detached. Joyful. Joyful. And less needed. Less needed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Couple of couple more? No purpose in life. No purpose in life. Mm -hmm. worried. And worried. Yeah. Another one that many women have mentioned that we also felt was the feeling of being fired. Mm -hmm. You can relate to that, can't you? Because our job was so wrapped up in those kids. And when they're gone, we feel like we've been fired from our job. Well, Anna Quinlan, who is a columnist um, and writes often for Newsweek magazine, wrote an article that we quoted in our book that we just thought really said it well. And she talks about this idea of being fired. She said in an article called, um, Flown Away and Left Behind, she said, Tell me at your peril that the flight of my kids into successful adulthood is hugely liberating, that I will not believe how many hours are in the day, that my husband and I can see the world, that I can throw myself into my job. My world is in this house, she said, and I already had a great job into which I'd thrown myself for two decades. No, not the writing job, the motherhood job. I was good at it, if I do say so myself. And because I was, I've now been demoted to part-time work. This stinks. <laughs> it's not simply the loss of these particular people living here day in and day out. 
but it's the bickering, the inside jokes, the cereal bowls and the sink. It was who I was when I was with them. I was the general to their battalion, the president of their cabinet. Sometimes I go into their rooms and just stand, touching their things and looking out their windows. She said it well, didn't she? We do feel fired and we do feel this sense of loss because so much of our identity was wrapped up in who we, were, who we are with our kids. One other discovery we've made in doing the work for this book is that the uh, empty nest season is so complicated because we deal with so many different variables in our lives and a lot of them hit at midlife, like menopause and aging hits about the same time that the empty nest does. Uh, your husband's expectations of you may change. They may increase, they may decrease. He may be having his own midlife crisis. So you've got that variable of him and what he expects and wants from you. Uh, you may have aging parents who need you. Uh, your child's newfound independence may be scaring you half to death because of the choices he or she is making. You may have a special needs child uh, who will never be able to leave home and so your empty nest is not going to be really quite so empty. Or the current financial situation that we're all facing, this economic downturn has changed the Im and impacted our empty nest experience. Well, one of the things that we have found in talking to many women is that this season is very complex and it's really diverse. It's just plain messy. And you know, when we were at Mothers of Young Children, we went through many of the similar challenges. Um, learning to share, back talk, potty training, but it had sort of a beginning and an ending. And then as we hit the teen years, we went through similar challenge. But you get to the empty nest and it's just messier. Barbara and I like to um, give the analogy of seeing it a bit like jello. You know, you can't get your hands around it. You get it in a mold and then it sort of leaks out in one area and leaks out in another area. And that makes us uncomfortable because we like a beginning and we like an end. But the reality is the empty nest goes on and on. It hits us at different times. It hit both Barbara and me at different times. I remember when it hit me. I have a vivid picture. Our kids all married young. They graduated from college in a period of seven years, and most of them got married right after college. So I never had a chance to really adjust to the empty nest because as our third child was graduating from high school to go off to the university, our first child was getting married within a week period of time. And so I was overwhelmed. So it wasn't for me until our last daughter, one of the twins, got married. Our twins got married within six weeks of each other. So that was a crazy summer. And they're girls. And they're girls, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember the day after Libby's wedding, she was the last to marry, going up to the girls' room that they'd grown up in, that they'd shared their whole life, and Susie and her husband, who'd been married for six weeks, were packing up the U-Haul to empty everything else that was left in the room. And as I stood in the room, I looked around at the walls, and there were lines where the pictures had hung. You know, there were pieces of little scraps of paper. But otherwise, the room was bare. And as that truck pulled out of the driveway with my last child off to her new life, I just sort of dissolved into tears and crumpled on the floor. And as I looked at these bare walls, I noticed the closet door was ajar. And on the floor of the closet, I saw a rumpled old blue prom dress. It seemed out of place. It was all alone. 
It was not needed anymore. It, in a way, was out of style. And as I looked at that prom dress, I thought, that's just how I feel. I'm not needed anymore. I'm a little out of style. And I remember just sobbing. And so for me, that was a real, oh me, this really is the empty nest, as all of my children were finally married. Well, all of us will experience different things as we hit the empty nest. And as Barbara and Dennis experienced the beginnings of the empty nest, they experienced it with some real heartache. Yeah, we did. As we uh, began the empty nest season, we were in a season of suffering as parents. Um, one of our daughters chose to rebel. Uh, she became a prodigal. And she rebelled in some pretty serious life-altering ways. And we'd sort of been dealing with some of her issues through high school, and we were doing all, everything that we could think of to help her. Um, and it seemed like at times things were working, but when she hit her senior year, things really began to unravel. And we found ourselves in a really difficult season as that year progressed. She was involved with an eating disorder, and she began to experiment with alcohol and drugs. And our lives as a family just began to spiral. And it really affected us and our marriage. And here we are entering, we're approaching the empty nest. We weren't there yet, but this was the way we entered our empty nest. And so we spent her senior year watching other families do proms and graduation ceremonies and all these wonderful senior activities, and we were wondering where our daughter was. Where was she spending the night? Who was she living with tonight? And it was such a, a time of heartache and loss for us when it should be a joyous, wonderful season of life. So we were in a very vulnerable place in our marriage and in our family because of this great suffering uh, that we were experiencing. We went through that season um, and two, there were two things that were very important for us. One was a small group of friends, and it was just really a couple of couples who stood with us and prayed for us. Um, even when we didn't know if they were praying, um, there were many times that we would, didn't even see them, but they had committed to pray for us through this difficult time in our lives. And the second thing that really got me through that season of life was God's Word. I remember I had um, uh, the verse James 1, verses 2 through 8 written out, on a card, and I taped that card to my steering wheel, and it must have been there for two or three months. And when I would get in my car and something dramatic had happened or something was really weighing on my heart for my daughter, I, would, I remember driving down the street saying that out loud over and over again because there was nothing else that I could hang on to. Nothing else seemed stable in my life except God's Word. So those two things really, really got us through. And we've found that there are other women who enter the empty nest with really difficult adjustments. It may not be a prodigal. It may be like my friend Connie, who, as she was preparing to take her youngest to college uh, the summer before her youngest left, she found out that she had cancer. Or it may be a, a friend of ours named Sue, who realized as her, parent, as her child left that her parents needed full-time care. And so she went from having a house full of children, she got them off, and her parents moved in because all of a sudden they needed full-time care. Or Carolyn, who entered the empty nest and had a grandchild who had to come and live with them for a time. Or Lisa, whose husband left at the same time as her son left. Or Cindy, who has a handicapped son. And Mary, who wants to know, how do I relate to my ex? We've been divorced for years. Now, what, now how do I relate to him now that the kids are gone? Because it changes the dynamics of that relationship. 
So Susan and I have learned that all of us are going to enter the empty nest with many variables, and many of us will enter the empty nest with different kinds of heartache at different stages in that journey. So we've learned that the empty nest is a season of great change. And one of the most important things for navigating the season of the empty nest is friendships. And we've learned a lot about friendships in the last few years as we've worked on this and how important it is, it is for us as women to have some good friends who can stand with us in the journey. One of the, the main things that we found as we've talked to other women and as we've been honest with each other is how lonely we are. You know, for many of us, when we were mothers of young children, we were desperate to be with another mother of young children, just so we could complete a sentence, because we felt like our brain had fried. And so we sought out other women, and we went to women's groups and mops groups and had play dates. But then what happens often is, as you hit those teen years, you find that you put your girlfriend relationships on hold a little bit because you want to savor those years with your teenagers. And so you're at their ball games on the weekend and you're doing things with your teenagers. And then they leave and all of a sudden you realize you're out of practice mm -hmm. with how to go to a deeper level with girlfriends. And the first thing that hits us in the face is we're lonely. And does anyone else feel like I do? Well, in our book, we talk quite a bit about this and we also give several keys to how to begin to reconnect with other girlfriends. I'm gonna give you three of them. And the first one is simply pray. God, make me a good friend to others. Ask God to lead you to one or two other women who would become soul sisters, who would be of encouragement to you. And then secondly, take the first step. Actually write down a list of three to five women that you would like to get to know at a deeper level. Call them up. Ask them to go for a walk or meet you at Starbucks for coffee. Be persistent. Think up good questions. I found it helpful to think of questions in two categories, and we've also shared these categories with our children because it enables us to become good conversationalists. One is schedules. Everyone has a schedule. What's a typical week like for you? How are you spending your time? And then relationships. Who have been some people in your life who've had a great influence on you? Tell me about your family. What's your extended family like? Who has been a person who you look to as a model, who you'd like to be like in this season of life? So take the first step. A third key is to simply be persistent. So you didn't really click with that girl you went for a walk with, or you had a hard time sort of conversing at Starbucks? Simply call up another one. Keep going. Keep taking the initiative. <laughs> And God, in time, will bring to you a good girlfriend. But it's scary, isn't it? It's scary to take that first step. So our first question is really to give us each a little bit of relief. Our first question is, am I the only one who feels this way? And the answer is most definitely no. Now, as we go through each of these four questions, we want to give you a little bit of hope and a little bit of help and you can sort of fill in the blanks on your sheets with whatever else you want to write down. But our hope and our help in answering the first question, am I the only one, is what Barbara referred to, the first important thing, is to become a student of God's Word. Because it's only God's Word that never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our seasons of life will change, but God's Word never changes. And second, seek to become a good friend. 
It's been said that there are two types of people in the world. There's a woman who walks in the room with a here I am heart, will someone please reach out to me? Here I am, please take care of me. There's another woman who walks into the room with a there you are mentality, how can I care for you? We need to grow in becoming there you are women rather than here I am women. So that will happen as we seek to take the initiative in becoming good friends. The second question that's on your outline is what is happening to my relationships? You know, as we enter the empty nest, and we sort of have been feeling this as our kids become teenagers, but our relationships are changing. Um, we've learned that our marriages are in different places. My marriage was very different as we approached the empty nest than it was when we began our marriage. We were two very different people after 25, 30 years than we were when we started. So the key word for this is renegotiate. Mm -hmm. All of us are going to have to renegotiate our relationships. First, our marriage has to be renegotiated and redefined. Secondly, our relationships with our kids have to be renegotiated and redefined because they are now becoming their own person. And we're still trying to figure out who that is. They're still trying to figure out who they are. And we have to learn a new way of relating to them as adults. And it takes some trial and error. But you have to redefine that relationship. And then thirdly, those of us who have parents who are still living, we may have to redefine that relationship too as their needs become greater and we need to take more um, of our time in caring for them. So those three family relationships may need to be rene renegotiated and, um, and redefined. So the road ahead is new. It's all uncharted territory for all of us. Um, and we don't know what's around the corner in any of these relationships. So we need to be flexible and be willing to change the way we, we do some of our relationships. You know, as Barbara mentioned, she and Dennis had adjustments as they went into this season, and so did Johnny and I. But we have also discovered that most women do, mm -hmm. and that that's one of the big things we fear. I want to read to you just from two different scenarios that perhaps you can relate to from a chapter that we did on how do I relate to my husband now. These are two, two um, stories that are true. Bess and Gary couldn't wait for the empty nest. Raising their kids had been tough. They'd had different approaches to discipline. They'd struggled on a tight budget, and they'd postponed many of their dreams in order to be with their kids. Now the last one was leaving, and they felt they'd done the best they could. Finally, they were about to be free from the daily stresses of parenting. They were excited. They couldn't wait for it to be just us again. Shelly's situation was just the opposite. She poured her life into her kids. They had come first. Now as the last child got ready to leave, she was scared, really scared. I don't even feel like I know my husband. I haven't been alone with him since I was 26. <laughs> Our whole life has revolved around the kids. Now what will we talk about at the dinner table? What will we do on weekends? I don't even know if I have the energy left to put into this relationship. Yeah. And I don't know if I want to. Two very realistic pictures of what we face in this new season. Well, as Johnny and I walked into the empty nest, we had not given it a lot of thought, obviously, because I didn't know what to tell Barbara. <laughs> when she asked me what it was like. 
because of our kids um, being so close in age and going to college and getting married so quickly, we just raced headlong into it. And yet, as I approached that final wedding, I began to think about it. And I was scared. And I realized that there was one of two traps that I could easily fall into. On the one hand, I could expect my husband to meet that emotional void that was going to be created in my heart by the last child leaving. I could expect him to understand, to affirm, to fill the gap, to give me a purpose. <laughs> I could easily demand, unconsciously perhaps, that he was the one that needed to make me happy. But you know, there is no man on this earth who was created to make his wife happy in total fulfillment. That's not God's purpose. So I needed to be aware that I could put undue pressure on my husband. That's one trap I could fall in. On the other end of the spectrum, I could easily fall into this trap. Well, now that the children are gone, he's just going to work longer at the office. He's going to take on more projects. I'll just get involved in more of the things I've involved in, and we'll just get busier and busier, and we'll pass in the night when it's convenient. And I realized that that was equally as dangerous because I could become emotionally disengaged, and that would only lead to isolation. So it was really helpful to me to recognize these two extremes and to begin to work on that, and frankly, to continue to work on it to this day. It's not something we ever totally get in mm -hmm. the empty nest or really in life. We are women in process, but recognizing these two traps and walking the fine line between the two has been really helpful to me. Mm -hmm. The important thing we've realized in your marriage is to put a stake in the ground mm -hmm. and say, we are going to make it through this together. We're going to do what we need to do to adjust, to, to redefine, to renegotiate our relationship, but we're going to go forward together, even though we're going to have to learn to get to know each other and rediscover one another again. Two weeks after our youngest went to college and we had just dropped our prodigal daughter off at rehab, Dennis and I went on a trip. And we had planned this actually because of something John and Susan had done. They had taken a trip after their youngest daughter's wedding, which she's going to tell you about in a few minutes. But we, because we were so a few years behind, we saw them and I thought, that's a really good idea. So Dennis and I decided to celebrate our empty nest by taking a trip together. And we had planned this a year prior not knowing that we were going to be taking a daughter to rehab at the same time we took a daughter to college. So we did, and we left, and we were exhausted, we were fried, we were depleted emotionally, and we looked at each other, and we gave each other high fives because we had survived it. <laughs> and that was exactly how we felt. We felt like we had just barely survived it. But we were there. We were together at the finish line. And even though we were depleted, and even though we had really gone through some hard, and, we, and the difficulties weren't over, and we knew they weren't, we were together at the finish line. And we chose to put a stake in the ground and say, we are going forward together, no matter, no matter how hard it is, from here on out. We have a lot more about this in the book, which yeah. we hope you'll enjoy. But you know, not only does our marriage need to be renegotiated, but also our relationship with our adult children is going to change. They need to know that we're committed to them and we're committed to their growing, but that we've never done this adult-child thing before and we're gonna make some mistakes. And they are as well. It's an adjustment both for the mom and the dad as well as for the child. 
All of us worry about our newly released kids. We all wonder what's going to happen to them. Are they going to make good choices? Who are they going to become friends with when they move out? What, what is this roommate going to be like? What kind of an influence is this person going to be on my child's, on my child's life? And we have lots of questions as moms. We've been so involved in their lives, we can't help but wonder about all these things. We wonder, how often should I call or email? What's too much and what's not enough? We wonder, can I send them goodies in the mail? <laughs> or are they going to be embarrassed if I send them something in the mail? Is it okay to ask about girlfriends and boyfriends? Or are they going to be mad at me if I ask questions about their life? And the, but the bottom line question is, how do I keep a relationship with my child? in these years ahead as they become an adult? And how do I do this without overstepping my role and running them off? What kind of a parent am I supposed to be to an adult child? We've learned that this journey is sort of constantly evolving and it's gonna be different with each one of your children because they're packaged differently. And it's gonna be different at each age. So it's an evolving relationship. But again, I wanna give you two extremes that we have found it's helpful to identify and then try to balance um, as we relate to our adult children. Picture with me for a moment a seesaw. You know how when you were little, you'd get on a seesaw with a friend, and part of the fun of the seesaw was to, one of you had to move in who was a little bit heavier, and the lighter one move, move out so that you could balance in midair. Keep that picture in mind for a minute, because I think as moms, we have two tendencies as we release our adult children. On one end of the seesaw is the helicopter parent, and on the other end of the seesaw is the hands-off parent. Now the helicopter parent is the parent that is perhaps a little too involved with her child. She's on the phone, did you get the class on time? And what are you gonna wear? And what are your plans for the weekend? And oh, are you eating right? And tell me who your friends are. And the child may be on the phone throughout the day, dumping on mom, which gets mom all upset. And five minutes after the child is dumped, she's fine. And mom is leveled for the rest of the day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's very easy for us to micromanage our children from a distance. That's the role of the helicopter parent. The hands-off parent, on the other hand, is one that says, out of sight, out of mind, sort of. <laughs> I've raised this child to be independent. They need to know that I have confidence in them. I am not going to call them, as a, a friend of mine who just sent her first off to college this year, said you, we're not allowed to call them for the first three weeks. Now, she is a, a chronic hands-off parent, um, doesn't know his class schedule, doesn't know who his friends are, wants to give him space so that he can become his own man. Well, independence isn't all of a sudden. It's little steps of independence. Let me quickly say that both the helicopter parent and the hands-off parent love their child. They want that child to be secure. But we need to learn how to give them the confidence and the security that they can make their own decisions. So in our book, we talk in greater detail about these two tendencies and give several practical helps on how you can seek to balance that seesaw. Mm -hmm. So our first two questions are, what is happening to me? Am I the only one who feels this way? And secondly, what is happening to my relationships? What are some help for us in this? Yeah, there are two words that I want you to remember on uh, what is happening to my relationships. The first one is intentional. Mm -hmm. Become intentional in your marriage relationship and in key friendships. 
So become intentional in those important relationships. And then the second word that's key is flexible. Become flexible in your relationship with your children because it's changing and you need to adjust to what your child needs and to find out the best way to relate to your child. So become intentional and become flexible. Well, we've been listening to Barbara Rainey and Susan Yates addressing a number of uh, moms, most of whom either were just into the empty nest or headed in that direction. I imagine you saw a lot of heads nodding as you spoke that night. Do you remember that? Yeah, we did. They, and we got some great feedback. But the, the story that I remember the most was a young Asian woman who came up, and I could tell by looking at her, she wasn't an empty nester. And I started talking to her, and she's got three young kids, and she said, I wanted to come hear what you had to say and get your book, because I want to understand what my mom's going through. Mm. And I was just so taken back that this young woman um, cared enough about her mother to want to understand where her, her mother was in life. I was so impressed. I still am impressed that she was willing to do that because she's the only one in there who wasn't an empty nester or about to be. Most of the women had teenagers or kids who were already gone. So you, I was you, impressed. I'll never forget when uh, we were meeting together with some of our friends and uh, all ladies about the same age, and we asked them, okay, tell us the most important things. Oh, yeah. We were about to go in the empty nest, and these women were all ahead of us, they and their husbands. Yeah. yeah. And there were these <laughs> blank looks on their faces. We haven't talked about it. What we do you, what we do you haven't mean? learned anything. What do you mean you and Dennis are talking about? What are you learning? And so it just points out the need that husbands and wives really need to own this and talk about it together. Yeah, in fact, at the end of each chapter in the book, you've got mm-hmm. questions. And one of the questions at the end of chapter five is set aside a date to begin discussing your expectations of each other in this new season. Also plan for some times of fun for just the two of you. And if you're highly motivated, begin to talk together about your vision for the future, about what mission you might want to work on as a couple. You really are in in this book, you and Susan together, mentoring women uh, as they approach the the onset of the empty nest and as they enter into those early years because this is a significant life transition for somebody who for at least almost two decades has been functioning in the role of mother. Now that part of her job is about to change in a pretty dramatic way. And uh, we've got copies of the book Barbara and Susan's Guide to the Empty Nest in our Family Life Today Resource Center If you know somebody who is about to enter that season, maybe it's you or maybe the season is still a year or two in front of you, get a copy of this book. It'll help you be spiritually and emotionally prepared for the empty nest when it arrives, and it'll help you navigate this chapter of life if this is where you find yourself right now. Go to FamilyLifeToday.com to order or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. 1-800-358-6329. That's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. Well, here at the start of a new month, we've got a couple of anniversaries we want to acknowledge. David and Tanisha Lawrence are celebrating their fifth anniversary today. They live in Lynn, Massachusetts. And we also want to say happy anniversary to our friends Terry and Cindy Fay, who live in Los Angeles Terry is the general manager at KKLA in Los Angeles. He and Cindy have been married 35 years today, 
and uh, they are alumni of the Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway. Congratulations to the Fays and to the Lawrences. We hope your day is a great day as you celebrate your anniversaries. We think anniversaries are a big deal and that we ought to be celebrating longevity and commitment and faithfulness in a marriage relationship. We are the proud sponsor of anniversaries. In fact, last week, we celebrated our 40th anniversary as a ministry. We uh, got staff and friends together and spent some time reflecting on God's faithfulness over 40 years as we have sought to provide practical biblical help and hope for marriages and families over the last four decades. And, you know, we had a number of people last week who wished us a happy anniversary with an anniversary uh, donation. In fact, I noticed a number of $40 donations came through last week, and that was encouraging to see. We want to say thank you to those of you who have helped support the ministry over the years. If you'd like to help with a donation today, we'd love to hear from you. And if your donation is $100 or more, we have a thank you gift we'd like to send you. It's a set of three study guides from our Art of Marriage Connect series, all designed to help you as a couple. You can go through these as husband and wife. Or you can get with other couples and engage with them in helping to build stronger, healthier marriages. Find out more when you give online at FamilyLifeToday.com, or you can call to make a donation at 1-800-FL-TODAY, or you can mail your donation to us at Family Life Today at Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas. Our zip code is 72223. Now, tomorrow we want to talk about why it's important for a mom to maybe take a a break when she reaches the empty nest, maybe have a little season of rest there. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Hope you can join us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.